Well, good morning to all of you. <clears throat> it is so good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Eric, thank you for leading us in prayer. Praise team, thank you for leading us in song already before God this morning. And I want to thank all of you that invited someone to join with you today. And I want to thank those of you that are joining in today for the first time. I know it's always a risk to join in with a, a group you don't know, and especially a group like this one. Can I get an amen? Uh, so, but we're glad that you're here. We want you to know that you're always welcome to be here as part of the movement of God called The Way Woodstock, where we seek to introduce people to Jesus by sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. Amen? Well, we continue today in this series of Get in the Game. And if you remember from a couple weeks ago, we were challenged with the fact that Jesus, he doesn't call for fans. He calls for followers. Amen? He doesn't call for fans. He calls for followers. And, and, and last week, we were reminded that before we take a step onto the field, to step into the kingdom assignments that God's imparted and placed on each and every one of us that have already said yes to Jesus, we have to suit up. Because our opponent is not like any ordinary opponent. In fact, we can't even see our opponent oftentimes because he's spiritual in nature. Satan himself wants to come and destroy and distract and pull us away from the life that Christ has made possible for us. And he wants us to live into the fullness of life that Christ has made possible for us as well. And so today we're going to continue in this series about getting into the game and I want to show you a few notable people as we get into our conversation today. And so turn your, your attention to the screens. Here's, here's some people. Maybe you don't know who these people are, but I want, to, I want to throw them out to you. Someone know who this one is? There we go, Bob Gibson. His dominating pitching, you may have not known this, but his pitching was so sharp, they actually lowered the mound in professional baseball because of his pitching. Isn't that crazy? Think about that. All right, look at the next one here. Now, some of y'all may or may not know this person, Florence Joyner. She revolutionized track. In fact, she still holds records in some of the sprints, even today. And I was a track runner, so this, this is pretty neat to see. Here's another one for you. You might know who this is. You may not know this one. Pete Gogolak. He, he's the one that led them to adopt a soccer-style place-kicking in football. And then the next gentleman here. Maybe some of y'all recognize this guy. Y'all know who that is? <laughs> Pittsburgh fan, right? Mel Blount, he, he dominated the field in his cornerback position. They changed the penalties so that you couldn't interfere with an offensive person once they get five yards off the line. I mean, that's how, how dedicated this guy was. He was ferocious as a cornerback. And then this lady. This is, is Babe Diedrichsen Zaharias. She's the first female PGA golf player. And then one last one I want to show you. Nick Cream. <laughs> now, everybody knows who Nick Cream is, right? Nick Cream. No, he didn't invent Krispy Kreme. Nick Cream invented the rubber lure. So any of you that like to go fishing don't have to dig in the dirt to find worms. You can go get a rubber worm at the store and go fishing with it thanks to this guy. What is it that all these people have in common? They were game changers. They were game changers in their respective sports. But we're here not to, 
to honor a game changer in the sport, but we're here to celebrate and to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the ultimate game changer, the one that didn't change the sport, but he changed the outlook and the potential for us, not only for life here and now, but life everlasting. Amen? He is the ultimate game changer, and he didn't do it by coming in to turn the world upside down. But he came to turn it right side up. When you think about the back of the creation, Genesis 1 and 2, when God created and, and he said everything was tov. Y'all have heard me say that before. You know, I like the Hebrew there. And, and on the sixth day when he created humanity, he said it was kol tov, very good. Only in Genesis 3, things went kind of a little sideways. Jesus came to restore that which we forfeited in Genesis 3. He is the game changer that gives us life and life eternal. But if you ever stop and look at Jesus, you've got to think that, you know, he did some things in some unusual ways, didn't he? I mean, his message was unusual. Think about the, the, the very first words that we find, the, the red letters, if you will, in the gospel accounts. You find it in Mark, you see it in Matthew 2. He comes preparing and, and, and giving this message, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then if you look at Matthew's gospel, the, the greatest sermon ever preached, I know, it's not mine, it's his. Can you get an amen to that? In, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you have the greatest sermon probably ever preached. And it begins with this, blessed. Now, how many of us want to be blessed? We all do. But listen to what he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit? Blessed are those who mourn. Really? Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it goes on through what we know as the Beatitudes. In fact, there's a Greek word behind the word blessed. It's, it's this, makarios. Say that with me. Makarios. Men save the date. Look at the screens. In November, we're going to go on a men's retreat and we're going to unpack that very word, makarios, that Jesus came presenting when he preached that sermon on the mount in Matthew 5. But you see, if you think about it, Jesus' words, his, what, he, what he came and presented was unusual. But in many ways, his way of going about getting that message out was a little unusual too because how did he go get the message out? Well, he recruited a team. He recruited a team. And if you think about it, I mean, when we think about recruiting a team, you might be thinking like the NFL draft picks, right? And the portal's kind of messed up college sports with all that and everything, and I don't know how y'all think about all that, but, but when you think about NFL draft picks, it's the fastest, it's the strongest, it's the best in their position, right? But is that what we see Jesus doing? You see, what we see Jesus doing is he's going and recruiting ordinary people. You, me. And, and recruiting us in, and empowering us to go and do extraordinary things. That's what we see the, the, the disciples doing in Matthew 10. And then you go into in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes down upon them. The whole of Acts is ordinary men and women doing extraordinary things in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus had an unusual message and he had an unusual way of delivering it. He was empowering ordinary, ordinary people to go and do what he had said in John 14, to go on and do greater things. Do you believe that you can do greater things? We can, not in our own strength, but in that, in Christ Jesus. But you know, Jesus recruited that initial 12, if you will, the, the disciples. I call them the disciples. They're a little slow, and I'm a little slow too, so I'm right there with them. But, but that initial 12, 
They would go on to build additional ministry teams and additional ministry teams. And if you look at the birth of the church and you go on through the generations, there's teams upon teams upon teams that are being built, ministry teams, to further the kingdom of God. And we today, seated here, those of you joining us online, are part of that ministry team in this day and in this time for this season. We, the way Woodstock, have a place. We have a part to play as part of the team to advance God's kingdom here on earth. That's what we pray, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. And that means we get involved, we get in the game. And that's what Jesus was doing. He's drawing ordinary people like you and me to do that and worship as we are here today doing and have been doing and will continue to do in many ways, I see it as simply the holy huddle for the week. It's a day in which we gather to testify, a day in which we come to praise and to pray and to bring our offerings before God, but it's really a way for us to huddle together before we go out these doors and we step onto the field where the battle really is and where the game is really played day in and day out in our ordinary lives and our ordinary way of going about each day. You see, we all have a role to play. And for some of us today, you might be sitting there questioning whether you're worthy or you have the ability or the capabilities to get in the game for Jesus. And so for some of us today, maybe we're sitting on the sidelines idle. And if that's you today, I want to challenge you. Because I want us to turn to the first recruitment, if you will, of Jesus. The calling of the first disciples. And we find it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. And that's what I want us to read today together. And I want us to, to reflect on as we continue in our meditation today in worship. In Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18. I'm going to read from the NIV translation today. God's word for us. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in going to the Lord in prayer as we continue in worship? Almighty God, I thank you that you woke us up and that you drew us here. We may have come for different reasons and yet with a common desire to encounter you to be renewed by you, to be found the, question, the answers to the questions we might have about you and maybe even about ourselves. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be free to operate and move in and amidst and even in spite of us today that we would have our eyes open, our ears open to hear and to see you. That the written word would become the living word, your son Jesus Christ to us today. And that we might respond in a way that's pleasing and in a way that you would desire us to as you speak to us. 
So, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And I ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Y'all got to bear with me. My voice is, is not holding today. So as we begin to unpack this, this scripture of recruiting, I, I want to I ask a question, I'll pose a question to y'all, and that's this. Why should I, meaning why should you, respond now to be on Jesus' ministry team? Ask yourself that question. Why should I respond now to be on God's ministry team? If you were here a couple of weeks ago, maybe you recall, I invited y'all to put a reminder on your phone or an alarm at 9.38. Do you remember that? Do you remember why? It, it, it was Matthew 9.38. It, it was where Jesus, before he takes the 12 and he sends them out to actually get on the field, if you will, in chapter 10, he gathers them and he's assessing the situation and he's seeing what's going on in front of him. And he says, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. It's a prayer. It's a prayer because there's a need for workers. And that's the first point I want to make to you today. Why should you respond now? That's because the mission requires you. The mission requires me. Zoom out on this sphere called the earth that we live on. Do you know how many people live on the earth today? There's a little over 8 billion of us. I mean, imagine, I mean, zooming out, I mean, we probably look like a bunch of ants covering the globe. And of that 8 billion, there's over 7,000 languages, and there's 2 billion people that do not have the good news of Jesus Christ in their native language. That's nearly 25% of the world population that can't pick up and open the gospel like we just did and read it for themselves. Because they can't understand the language. Now, you don't have to go across the sea, though, to recognize the great need of the gospel to be spread. In fact, it's right here on our doorstep. Uh, one of the retired professors from Asbury Seminary, when I went to seminary, he wrote this, and, and, and let this sink in. He says, today, there are 180 million functionally secular people in the United States. They have no understanding of the Bible. The U.S. is the third largest mission field on earth. It is the largest in the Western Hemisphere. Apostolic teams and churches are needed to reach them. You know, one of the amazing things about Asbury Seminary is it's in a two-square-mile town in Wilmore, Kentucky. Anybody know where Wilmore, Kentucky is? I didn't either until 20. 10, when we went and visited, we drove through a stream, through a farm to get there, and my wife said, where are you taking me? We ended up in Mayberry in the middle of nowhere. But in that little town, that little two-square-mile town, there were international people from all over the world, all seeking to go deeper in their faith. And what's amazing is, is just as many of those that went back to their respective nations, just as many of them stayed here. Why? Because of this. Because of the great need of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ right here in our own country. They stayed here amongst us, here. But let's just get a little more personal. Let's, let's zoom into the city of Woodstock. Y'all have heard me share this before, but you know, within two and a half miles, there's 44,000 people that call this home. Within two and a half miles of right where we are gathered this morning. 
and 27,000 of them do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for a minute. Nearly 62% of those around us don't know Jesus. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. And if I could get a little more personal for us, how many of us have a coworker or family member or a classmate or a neighbor that we know that doesn't know Jesus. You, you see, the mission requires us because we're in the mission field. It's right here, right beside us, all around us. There are people hungry for what Jesus has to offer. And Jesus is calling you and me to be a part of that. Because we're all part of one big body, the body of Christ, and there's gifts spread amongst the body, and the whole body can't step on the field unless all of the parts are there to truly carry out the kingdom of God. Mission requires us. And secondly, Jesus is the one that's calling you and me. Let me say that again. Jesus is the one calling you and me. Look back at this text. The red letters is Jesus himself, and he's saying simply this, what? Come follow me. Come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. You see, it's not a pastor. It's not a parent. It's not a, a, a teacher. It's not a classmate. It's not a ministry leader. It's Jesus that is calling to you and to me and making a personal invitation to you and to me to follow him. To follow him and to join on his ministry team. You know, sometimes, sadly, we mistake and confuse following Jesus with following ministry leaders, don't we? I was reminded of this when I was first appointed up here in Woodstock back in 2018. Some people came to me at the church at the street and they said, um, can we put Live Andy signs at the, at, at the bottom of the street? And I was like, Live Andy? What are you talking about? Well, North Point Ministries had a church up the street, and Andy Stanley was, was virtually there on the, on the podium. Think about that. What's that? Hollowing, Hollowing yeah, right? <laughs> you know, sometimes we can get caught up following a, a religious leader and not following the leader, Jesus Christ. And that's not a new thing. I mean, Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. Listen to this. He says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. You see, you each have a kingdom assignment that's been a task to you. Your sphere of influence of who you're to call to, to invite into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is calling you to that. He's calling me to that. And therein lies, I think, some of our hesitancy and our resistance because some of us remember what it was like to play a game of pickup ball when we were kids. Y all, y all, any of y'all play that when you were kids? And, and you showed up on the field and two captains were designated. And what did they go do? They go picking the team, right? And who'd they pick first? The fastest, the strongest, the tallest, whatever it was, and the runt was left over, right? And many of us have bought into lie that we're the runt on Jesus' team, that we don't have anything to offer on his team. 
And so we think that invitation that he's inviting me, we're looking behind our shoulders and saying, he's got to be, got to be talking about somebody else. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. You see, Jesus doesn't call perfect people. Jesus calls imperfect people. You see, take a look at, take a look at his first recruits. You know, if, if he can use Peter, who would become the rock upon which he would build his church, but Peter's also the one that would deny Jesus three times before Jesus would go to the cross, well, he just might be able to use you and me. When you look at James and John, the, the brothers, the, the sons of thunder, what is it we find them squabbling about at one point? They're seeking to, to corner out the rest of them so they can sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus when he comes into his kingdom. If Jesus can call them and use them for kingdom work, then maybe he can use you and me. You know, if he can use a woman of questionable past or if he can use a man that was possessed by demons that lived in the to- amongst the tombstones, then maybe he can use you or me. If he can use someone that fiercely persecuted those that professed faith in the name of Jesus Christ like Saul before he became Paul, then maybe he can use you and me. If he can use someone that ran from the call of stepping out of one position into another position in the kingdom of God to become a pastor for some 20 years, I'm talking about myself, knowing I was called at 14 and ran until I was 34 and knew that he was still calling on me all those years, he can use you. He can use me. You see, he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Let's get that straight this morning. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called, and he's calling you. And he's calling me to step into the positions in the kingdom of God work that he has for us so that his kingdom can come here on earth as it is in heaven. And it's a matter of internal impact on the lives of those within our sphere of influence. You see, the mission requires you and me. And it's Jesus who's calling you and me. And lastly, I would offer to you that Jesus needs us now. He needs you now. Look again at this recruitment of Andrew and Peter and and then James and John and in both the invitations that Jesus extends, how do they respond? Immediately. Immediately. They leave the security of work. They leave the security of family in order to follow Jesus and to take his lead. One day they're fishing by the side of the sea. The next day he's equipping them to go out and fish for people and to bring them into the kingdom of God. Fishermen. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever stopped to think, why fishermen? I really never gave that much thought, but then I began to ask that question, and the truth is I didn't understand it until I met a few true fishermen. And I have the privilege of meeting with a group of pastors today that we affectionately call ourselves the Pescalogians. I want to put a picture of them up here. This is a, a, a motley crew. I'll give you that. 
of pastors that started meeting together about two years ago. We meet every month, and we meet beside a stream or a lake, and I'll tell you, I mean, when I got invited to this group, and they said, hey, you want to go fishing? I was like, no, but I'll bring the ski rope and the skis because I like to go fast. Can, can you put me on the back of the boat? Pull me. But I got to learn something about fishermen in this group as we prayed together, as we held each other accountable, and we took into heart this whole scripture of Matthew 19 really is, is kind of our theme verse in this group. But this group likes to play a little bit, and, and here's the enthusiastic, diehard fisherman in you. Let me, let me show you some of the memes that come through our text thread. This is one that I, that I got not too long ago. I'm only a few fishing poles short of being featured on Hoarders. True statement, Kenny Ott. Any of y'all that know Camp First Pastor? That's a true story for him. Let me go to the next one. Can't work today feeling crappy, and my arm is in a cast. Crappy's a fish, if you're wondering. All right, go to the next one. Not enough fishing, the problem is. For those of you that like Star Wars, that came across. Let me go to the next one. This is, this is one of my favorite ones. The face you make when somebody asks, don't you ever get tired of fishing? That came from Kenny Ott, too, by the way. I mean, the guy's a diehard fisherman, but, but here's the point. This, is, this last one is the one that I want to drive home. Why fishermen? Let's get to one thing straight. No matter how many fish I catch, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. Now, on one hand, you're thinking that's kind of funny, right? You're just, they're addicted to going and catching fish. But isn't that what Jesus wants? Isn't that what he wants of followers, not fans? It's for us to not settle for what influence we've had, but to have more influence, to reach more people, to draw more people into the kingdom of God? Imagine what it would be like if we had that infectious, contagious, it's not enough. And we went about our days casting the love of God out there and allowing the Holy Spirit to lure people into a relationship with Jesus that we already have and celebrate with them as they come into the kingdom of God and they join with us on the front lines. Imagine, imagine with me what the city would look like if we lived into that reality that just, it's just one's not enough, just one more, just one more. There's never enough. Imagine. Imagine what your family might look like. Imagine what your school might look like. Imagine what our places of business might look like. If we were motivated like a fisherman is motivated to go out and fish when there is never enough. I was, I was in awe recently. I, I sat down with a, with a friend of mine and, and he was unpacking with me, uh, uh, kind of uncovering and discovering that, that God's imparted with him some spiritual gifts. And he didn't quite know what to do with them. And as we're kind of crying together and we're looking to God's word and, and reflecting on this, what I was hearing was this man's heart saying, I just want other people to know and to have a relationship that I am experiencing right now. I mean, it was like the love of God was just flowing through him and flowing out of him. He was vomiting love of God to me, and I knew that he was doing it wherever he goes. That is what God is calling each and every one of us, and us as a body of Christ, the church here, the way Woodstock, to live into that.
kind of passion, just like fishermen have when it comes to going to fish. You see, these disciples didn't settle for ordinary lives, did they? They left the ordinary in order to live into something more, to live into an extraordinary life. One in which they walked with Jesus. They learned from Jesus. And then they went out, sent by Jesus to draw others unto Jesus. Not themselves, but to Jesus. You see, this is what we started at the beginning. They would go on in chapter 10 of Matthew, that, that, that clarion call to pray for, the, for the, the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Jesus sent them out. And they came back at the end of chapter 10 and said, Lord, holy smokes, you couldn't believe what happened. And Jesus said, I knew what was going to happen. I empowered you. He empowers us to do exactly what he did, in fact, to go do greater things, to preach and to teach and to heal. You see, what these disciples ultimately did is they didn't put off someday what Jesus offered to them that day. Think about that for a moment. They didn't put off to someday what Jesus offered to them that day. Which leads me to a question for each of us and for all of us. What are you putting off to someday that Jesus is inviting you to today? What are you putting off to someday that Jesus is inviting you to today? You know, for some of us, maybe it's simply we haven't quite entrusted our life to Jesus. And maybe rather than putting that off to someday, Jesus is calling you today. He's inviting you into a relationship with him today. Maybe today's that day. And if that is, would you reach out to someone beside you that's already further along your faith walk and ask them to, to talk to you about what it might be like to really put your faith and trust in him and to pray with you. Or come talk to me or Pastor Ann. We'll love to go grab coffee and unpack that with you. But, but don't put off the invitation that Jesus is extending to you today. And for those of us that have said yes to Jesus, the question still stands, what are we putting off? What are you putting off to someday that Jesus is inviting you to today? Because I fear for too many of us, we're sitting on the sidelines. We're sitting on the sidelines and we're missing kingdom opportunities every day, every day to see someone come into the fold. You know, one of the, the, the greatest privileges, one of the most amazing things I have ever experienced in my life is to sit there and to pray with someone that's eagerly seeking to know Jesus and to baptize them. There's no greater work because their eternal life is on a whole new trajectory now. And it had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. But we're invited to participate in that kingdom work. Each of us. And all of us. Folks, it's time to get in the game. Game on. Jesus is calling. 
How will you respond? Would you pray with me? Almighty God, I thank you for your word. Even just these few verses that speak to Jesus reaching out to his first of many disciples. Ordinary individuals that would go on to do extraordinary things, not in their own strength, but in the strength of you. Empowered by your spirit. God, help us not to be timid in this day. Help us to be bold in this day. Help us to trust in you to lead and to guide the words we share, the actions we take, the moves we make to reach our families, to reach our coworkers and our classmates. reach the city that we are placed in here. We are uniquely positioned, Lord, and we don't want, I don't want for us to waste the opportunity and the invitation that you've given to us to be on a church on fire for you that we truly embrace sharing and hope, living with purpose for the sake of others, that there is always room for one more in the net. And that we'll go fishing wherever you send us. (laughs) Because God, that's what you're calling us to. That you call me to. The Holy Spirit fall upon us this morning. Holy Spirit, convict us to make that next step, whatever that step is in our own life and a relationship with you, Lord Jesus. Help us to take that step towards you. And as we hear your voice, as we're assured by your presence, help us to move by your power out to reach those beside us in the name of Jesus and bring them into the fold so that we might see your kingdom truly unfold before our very eyes. And as we come together as holy huddles every Sunday, we have a testimony on our lips to praise you with and to share with others what God is doing in our corner of the field. For God, I think that will bring you the greatest glory and joy ever. Lord, help us to be kingdom participants. I ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's children said, Amen. Amen.